You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host. We are going to learn from our guest today how to have a pulse on your prospects and know the content that they are seeking. Uh, and before we get into that, I want to ask everybody here to maximize the number of people and help us out. Uh, by getting the content that we're sharing here out to more people. So please pause this video or this audio for a second, like, follow, subscribe, leave a review, whatever it is that you're allowed to do in the uh, platform on which you are listening to this or on which you are watching this. Be sure to please like, follow, subscribe, leave a review, whatever you're allowed to do. I appreciate it. I want to introduce our guest today, who is the president and CEO of 11 out of 11 marketing agency. Uh, she's the author of Stop Blending In, the seven steps for achieving thought leader status and standing out in your field. You can learn more about her and what she does at 11out11.com. That's the number 11, not spelled out, 11out11.com. And with that, I give you Angela Poynton. Hi, it's good to see you, Ben. How are you? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad you glad you were able to make the time to to have this conversation. And I guess what I would ask you before we even really get going into the content we're talking about, no pun intended, is if you could please give us like a quick two minute background or roundup of sort of like a context for you uh, and background, so people can understand sort of where you're coming from when we talk about this content marketing message. Absolutely. So I became fascinated with content marketing really when I realized that anybody can be known for anything. It's just about putting the information out into the world. So if you want to be seen as the best at XYZ, developing that thought leadership and that reputation is really on you, the person, not so much on the rest of the world. That fascination came when I was working at other marketing agencies. I That's how I did my career right out of college. And about seven years ago, decided to leave. I had reached the point of deciding between being a partner at an agency or going out on my own mm -hmm. for personal reasons, had small kids at the time. I thought, you know what, for me and for work-life harmony, doing my own thing is going to be better. And so I did a little freelance and consulting for a while and then started 11 out of 11 in 2017. Okay, nice. Well, that, that is super helpful. So I guess the first thing I want to understand before we like step back and say, hey, how can you get a pulse on your prospects or your potential customers? But before we talk about that, sort of like what, why do content marketing? Like what, what is the idea or the goal or the purpose behind it? The purpose behind, there's really two reasons why an organization or a company would invest time and or dollars into content marketing. The first is SEO, right? So if people are looking on Google for your service, your product, or for help, if you're a consultant, they're probably going to turn to friends first and Google second, right? <clears throat> and so if they're looking for you and they can't find you, that's a problem for you. So creating content is the best way to help Google, which is just a machine, learn more about you and who you are and what you do and what your expertise is in so that you can climb higher in the rankings. 
And there's all science behind how you do that. But in essence, if you think about the types of things people would be searching for and you create content around those things, you're already on the right track. The second reason is really around thought leadership. So if somebody does hit your site and they go to read more about you, which a lot of people do these days, right? We gone are the days where we're answering ads and like looking in the phone book. We are reading and doing our own research before hiring someone. Thorough research. We're almost bottom of funnel, if you will by the point we're reaching out to a company, especially mm. if their website is really good. And so that kind of thought leadership and coming across as the expert and all the reasons why they should choose you over the other competitors that they are researching is a very strong reason why people do content marketing. Got it. And then so that people can, who are listening to or watching this can sort of see themselves and their situation in, in what you're talking about, like describe what most people do when it comes to mm -hmm. content. So people are already doing something for content marketing. What are most people doing? Most people are probably first thinking about social media, depending on what their business does. And so thinking about, wow, I should be posting more on LinkedIn if it's a B2B type company or um, consulting practice, or I should be posting more on Facebook or Instagram or doing TikToks. And that can quickly feel overwhelming for some folks. The other path that we commonly see is they occasionally put out a new blog article or an email newsletter, right? And by occasionally, it's usually sporadic. It's just like going to a gym. You get really excited at first. I'm going to be dedicated to this. You put the time into authoring some content and then you're like, well, I don't really want to do that again. And so time goes on, um, which is challenging, right? It's challenging to keep that rhythmic production of content, the type that both an audience needs to see you as a thought leader, but also Google needs to see that you're constantly updating your website. But those two areas, either blog and email newsletter or social media, are where we see most people start. Mm-hmm. And I guess, what would you say are the biggest like mistakes or or errors that that people are making? I mean, you already sort of described not being consistent. Mm -hmm. Like, what what else would you say about what mistakes or errors uh, that people are, are are making? I guess in in their content marketing strategy, if if strategy is even too highfalutin of a word for what most people do. That's yeah, it's all good. The not um, being rhythmic about it, we talked about, but also <clears throat> if, for instance, your article posts have dates on them, think about what your experience is if you go to a website and you go to look at some content that the company has created and you see 2020 as their latest post date. Are they still in business? Are they growing? Are they serving any customers that they go out of business? Those thoughts go through your head. Mm -hmm. So um, that rhythmic content, you know, just making sure it doesn't have too long of a shelf life before you're addressing it. So that would be one. The second is once we get into actually what you're saying, Content has to be thorough, you know, putting up a blog article of two paragraphs, call it 150 to 200 words, 
Mm, I don't want to say you might as well not be doing anything at all because the sheer exercise is good, just like going to the gym. Anything is good, but Google can't do much with 200 words. And 200 words probably isn't enough to share your thoughts, right? And be seen as an expert. So the second mistake I would say is not long enough. Mm -hmm. Some people might argue, well, people are busy and they don't have time to read. Let's face it, everybody is skimming. (laughs) Nobody is reading word by word by word these days. And so in that regard, having clear headers and section breaks and those types of things are going to help your your reader. A blog post that is 5,000 words is going to help you and the prospect of your company more than one of 200 words, even though they're probably not going to be reading all 5,000. And then the third mistake, and this really goes for any type of content, whether it's on a blog or social media, wherever it's placed, is really having a clear call to action or preferably multiple calls to action where you're really taking people to another level in their relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so if a blog is about, let's just say baking chocolate chip cookies, there should be an offer to buy your cookbook. So that's a bottom of funnel. You want money exchanged, but maybe there is an offer to sign up for a newsletter where you're sharing a cookie recipe of the week or some other helpful educational piece of material where they're not hitting your blog and bouncing off and you have no idea who is there, but they're hitting your blog and you're capturing their email address so Mm -hmm. that you can begin to nurture them and try to get the sale. Awesome. Well, starting to transition, I guess, into our topic then. So that's Mm -hmm. sort of a good background, but transitioning into our topic of, of like getting a pulse on your customers So like, I guess, what are most people doing or what mistakes are people making when it comes to knowing what the pulses of the customer or what content they want? Yeah. So what this really is about is writing content that they need to hear, right? That they are looking for information on. The best ways to do that is to get those topic ideas either from your sales team or whoever's doing sales at the company or from the client services team, whoever's working with the customers or your, you know, um, if it's a B2C, like whoever's servicing the customers after this point of sale. Mm -hmm. Those individuals, and for some people, that's me, right? That's me. I both sell and I both execute. Like Mm -hmm. I'm with the customer at the beginning to the very end. But what people um, forget is customers ask questions. And when customers or prospects ask questions, they're probably not the only people to have those questions. And so if we can be not just listening to answer, but writing down what those questions are, Mm. um, like Ben, you asked, why on the homepage do you say you're a Philadelphia marketing agency before we hit record on here? I'm going to write that down because actually that's a really good SEO question that probably people have. Should I put where I'm located on my homepage if I serve other areas of the country, for Mm. example, right? It's such a niche question, but it makes for a great blog topic because we do SEO work for companies. So 
really listening to those, not just to respond, but to be like, man, I'm getting that question. Hmm. I bet you other people have questions. And then that in essence becomes your content calendar and your content strategy. Right. Awesome. So like listening to your sales team, whoever that is listening to see what questions they're getting, listening to your service delivery team or customer service, whatever it is, see what questions they're getting. Those are the topics, right? What are the questions? Those are the topics like uh, Marcus Sheridan's book. They ask you answer, yeah. you know, yeah. it's uh, take those. We, 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 we noticed recently at Wolf's Edge Integrators, my fractional COO firm, we noticed recently that we've been getting a spate of like new leads and people setting up discovery calls at wealth management companies, which we really didn't have very much of for like the last year, year and yeah. a half. Like, and there's just like this spate of them. So we're like, huh. what's going on with like wealth management firms, like looking at fractional COO. So we're talking to my, our head of business development, Jen Hamilton yesterday. And we're like, okay, you know what? That's a, that's a, they ask you answer blog post and video right yeah. there. You know, yeah. where to, you know, how, how do wealth management and financial services firms use fractional COOs and integrators? Or, yeah. You know, something briefer maybe, but like, yeah, no, it's good. Something, something along those lines. Like, listen, pay attention, uh, especially the sales and customer service. Yeah. Could you share a story or an example of, I guess, let's, let's stay on the negative side for a second. Yeah, sure. Like, like what, what you've seen, maybe one of your clients or something you did in the past, one of your former clients, current clients. What were they doing before? Like, what kind of business were they in? What was happening before they kind of decided to do something about getting better at uh, getting a pulse on their customers or clients? Yes. So I think um, when people work in silos, it's challenging to get that information, right? And the bigger the organization, the harder it is. It's easy when you're, I shouldn't say easy because it's never easy, but when you're a consultant and you're both selling and serving the client, you're listening to all that information yourself. You can have a notebook for content ideas. It's, it's less whisper down the lane. So for organizations that are large, um, for example, we worked at a manufacturing company, we were doing their content. The people who were talking to the uh, customers or the prospects, I should say, were very different than leadership who was not. They were talking to key accounts, you know, just to keep them happy, right? But they really weren't involved in the sale. Mm -hmm. And then execution, the actual manufacturing plant, they were getting orders and they were fulfilling orders and they weren't ever really talking to the customer directly. There was an account manager involved. So the larger the organization, the more challenging it is to get information um, of what those intimate little questions are that somebody really needs to take the time to jot down. But just like so much in business, there's a way to operationalize it. And so for that customer um, that we were working with and coaching and creating their content strategy, we interviewed those folks who were speaking with the customers and prospects. Hey, what do you hear often? And you'd be surprised what they can remember and can conjure up as good topics. It's a great way to not just guess, but to really get those nuggets. And it also um, doing that on a routine basis. So we plan content for clients on a quarterly basis, mm -hmm. right? 
if we have those conversations quarterly and any organization can do this, you know, bringing together marketing and sales, it also does something to change the sales team's thinking into really proactively noting those ideas mm -hmm. and sharing it proactively with the marketing team. We are very much about, and this really came to be maybe five or six years ago, this idea of revenue operations where sales and marketing are working together rather than against each other or in silos. When we're working on revenue operations, we're all working to, toward the same goal, revenue. And so if we are getting that information from sales or account management, and we are able to execute on that, it's just going to make it that much better for the organization as a whole. I will say there is one challenge um, that we didn't talk about, which is some companies do things that nobody knows about. It is a new area, a new industry, a new service. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a fractional COO is a relatively new service. Not everybody knows that that exists out there. Right. And so for companies, for anybody listening, where they're doing something that is somewhat revolutionary or a shift in the way business is done, this exercise can be very challenging and feel like, well, they don't even know what questions to ask to find me, right? right. The prospect. And so we all want to target what's called bottom of funnel keywords. I want to hire a fractional COO, for example. Great. That person hitting your site is qualified, man. You want that lead, right? But what are they searching for earlier in their journey before right. they figure out that that's a solution? And those questions can feel very broad and like, well, that's not really what we do, or we don't really truly have competitors. When something is brand new, it's more challenging. And you really got to think about, um, for example, we have a company that, um, creates a culture operating system, if you will. They are culture consultants and they have an app that helps people operationalize culture so that it's not just a poster on the wall, but something people live and breathe and do all day at the company. They're the only ones. There is no other organization who does that. There are tons of searches around culture and how to make culture better at an organization. They are competing with Forbes, Inc., all of those magazines that have number one rankings. So you, you really have to get creative if you're thinking you're in that kind of space where they don't know I exist. They don't know the solution exists. We are not a you know bakery on the corner that everybody knows about. We are something unique. You really got to be creative about what the person could be thinking about to find you. Well, that's a that's a great question. And actually, your example sort of compounds the question, because if, you know, you know, if maybe there's maybe the things that people would be searching for are so, you know, either they're being talked about by people with just much bigger names, much bigger SEO and clout or whatever, that they're going to get found much more. And it's going to be hard to ever get found in such busy topics. Or I think another question that comes to mind is that the things that they might be searching for are, again, they're, they're so, you know, maybe unrelated to, or that they, you know, 
not unrelated to what you do because they are related to what you do, but they're, you know, there's maybe 10 different solutions, 20 different solutions of different kinds of companies, different kinds of services. You know, I think about like, you know, people that want to have a, you know, want to have a better life or self-managing company. All right. So you could have, you could, you could do, you know, fractional COOs or you could learn about meditation. I mean, I don't know. There's like a whole right. different things yeah. that people might be searching for that may all be somehow related to people who would be interested in you, but they'd also be potentially interested in lots of other things. Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you do? How do you approach that? You know, or what do you, what, what do you tell people to do to get an idea of, if you're in this sort of innovative space or something that not a lot of people are searching for, not a lot of people, not a lot of people know that your actual solution exists yeah. uh, in particular. So what, what, what do you tell do? people about how to, how to, how to drill down on what, okay, what are they searching? And uh, I don't know, what, what, what do you, what do you tell people to do to, 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 to solve for that? Yeah. The best, if you are not only a new revolutionary concept, but you also think about what people might be searching for and you find that you're probably, and I would recommend doing a couple of searches to see what comes up. And you find that you're probably competing against like hundred pound gorillas. Those hundred pound gorillas are going to be things like magazine websites. If you're in the medical field, WebMD, you know, those websites that are just churning out tons of content every day. Google loves them for a reason. If you find that that's the case, the next uh, thought process you should have is how can I niche down and think about, okay, if I'm, you know, maybe somebody doesn't, I'm just going to use you as an example, Ben, maybe somebody doesn't know the word fractional yet, but they might know the word part-time and maybe they know the word part-time and they're in a specific industry. So part-time COO for manufacturing or for wealth advisory. That's where you can then do another search on Google and see what comes up for this. Like, is it a bunch of crap? So if I'm a person looking for something like that, am I getting really frustrated because Google is just not presenting your type of solution? That is a green light to go and create some content around that. It can feel frustrating because it is so niche and you think, oh, is anybody searching for that? But I will tell you that from a search strategy, if you are in those niches and there's junk coming up in the search results, it will perform better than you think it will because mm -hmm. you're solving a pain that people are looking for and they're getting frustrated and they're like, this must not exist. And if you come up as the only one in the search results, it's, it actually can be a blue ocean type thing um, and a strategy to employ. On the flip side, what we were talking about before with Marcus Sheridan's book, you know, he owned a pool company, tons of pool companies. Like he had, people knew what they were, knew what the service was. He had tons of competitors. His strategy was niching down to questions that his prospects were asking. But he's not competing against the information giants. He's competing against all the competition. Right. Um, and so Blue Ocean strategy for that would be still niching down within, which is exactly the strategy of his book. I just find for our experience with customers and clients, 
if you're in this revolutionary type business, following they ask you answer can sometimes feel very frustrating because they don't know what to ask. <laughs> right. Right, right. No, it's good stuff. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we do get lots of questions. So we, we actually put out questions. Again, they, they talk about doing questions that people don't want to answer. You know, yeah. like how much does a fractional CEO cost? Right. They wrote a big article about that. You know, who are the best, you know, who are the best fractional COOs? Who are the best fractional integrators? So we highlighted five of our competition. Some of, some of them link to our website on their website, uh, which is, which is great. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, do fractional integrators compete with the U.S. implementers? Because a lot of implementers, which are a lot of our referral sources, uh, you know, sometimes are concerned about that or wonder about that. So anyway, try to try to do that somewhat. Yeah, you're doing a great job. You're also maybe unique to some of your listeners in that you're in the help first community. So some of the listeners might be like, my competitors would never link to me and never. And there can be fierce competition in other industries, Um, but it's always worth a try. I feel, you know, to get those links and see if you can build because everybody serves different types of customers. And so if there can be friendly, uh, you know, glass half full, yeah, uh, you know, everybody wins type of outlook. Yeah. it's just good. It's good for SEO and it's good for your website. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I just, just talked to, uh, another fractional integrator COO yesterday who just told me that he, he, he signed with a client that I referred to him, you know, one of our, one of our competitors. So that was nice. That was nice. Yeah. And, um, good. You'll get the next one. Yeah. Oh yeah. God will. Yeah. Help first. Like you said, yeah. uh, last question, I guess is, walk us through like a case study or like an example of somebody that really took to heart uh, or, you know, whether through you or whatever, this concept of really getting a pulse on your prospects, your customers, your clients, and then creating content that delivers to them what they actually want. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I think a good case study would be a company called Lympha Press. Um, They're a medical device company located here in the Pennsylvania area, but they serve uh, a large portion of the United States, and they create what's called a compression pump for sufferers of lymphedema and lipedema. Um, So traditionally, those individuals have one either arm or leg that swells, um, and the compression pump looks like a big balloon that you put on your leg or arm to kind of uh, constrict that swelling and you're supposed to use it, um, either every day or multiple times a day to kind of control the symptom of that disease. So they sell the pump and the balloon looking thing. The community has associations that serve the community and educate the community and put on conferences, but we, I, if you have any association listeners, I apologize. Traditionally, associations are not the best marketers. They're usually nonprofits working with really strict budget. And there's, of course, outliers of that. But um, in their case, the association's websites were really not good. Um, and so there was this underserved audience of prospects out there, people seeking information who couldn't find it very readily. Um, And so if anybody suffers from anything, you know what crops up there, which is Facebook groups and people helping one another because the, the medical community is not helping them as much as they should. 
it was an opportunity for our client. While they are a product within the industry rather than a physician themselves or a nonprofit themselves, why not start the community of information for their uh, patients and bring in clinicians who are the thought leaders who can speak medically, medically mm-hmm. but they're the host of that, right? And this was a tiny idea in their content strategy four or five years ago that really blew up. Um, and all credit goes to the team at the client because they loved the idea and they created a podcast and a webinar series and um, a roundtable and all of these different feathered content where our role was really managing both SEO and um, clinician interviews to to gather medical information for the community. Their website traffic has gone through the roof from, you know, a thousand visits a month. They're now exceeding 16,000 a month. It has just grown astronomically because there was an opportunity that they did not shy away from. They could have easily said, we are not physicians. You know, we, we, we just can't represent this in this way. We're a product. And they leaned in instead. Um, their marketing person now, uh, a new hire, actually has lymphedema. So there's that authoritative voice mm-hmm. of the patient in their strategy, which they didn't have up until maybe a year ago, which has just made it even better. And so I would encourage anybody listening to think about how you can get creative with this and not think about, well, why should people listen to me? but really looking for that opportunity to serve that missing voice and be the thought leader. Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of space out there for it. As I started this conversation, if you want to be known for something, it is largely up to you Mm -hmm. to do that. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate this. Again, people can learn more about what you do and about content marketing strategy and, and tips. I know you always get a lot of useful information in your newsletter, uh, 11 out of 11.com. And, uh, you know, again, asking your sales people, your client service people, even if that's yourself, like, what are the questions that you're getting asked? Use that, use that for content, answer those questions. Um, think about if you're unique as Angela shared, uh, in your business, not something that a lot of people are aware of as a solution, somewhat innovative, uh, you know, thinking about, well, what are people searching for? And, what problems are they having that they might be searching for that are not already taken up uh, and overwhelmed by 800 pound gorillas and magazines and, you know, and WebMD type of organizations. Uh, so really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge, this information, these tips, these tricks, not tricks exactly, but just this uh, knowledge. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Angela. Oh, thank you, Ben. It was fun. Awesome. Yeah, no, it was great to have you on. Great to see you again. We've known each other for a few years now and uh, yeah. in real life. So great to, great to talk with you again about this and uh, everybody else. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.